Hey, everybody. Welcome to EW's latest Twitter space. This one is focused on all things Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. We're talking today because my colleague Devin Kogan here just published her latest big feature um, about the upcoming Amazon Prime video show. Uh, having previously written a print feature for our Comic-Con exclusive issue, uh, today we published our digital cover um, based on these uh, motion portraits of many of the main characters from the upcoming series. So congrats are in order to you, Devin. It's a great read. Everybody should uh, check it out if they haven't yet. But I figured I would uh, turn the tables a little bit and ask you a couple questions about this piece. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, it's been a blast. And I'm so excited to get to talk um, all things Tolkien with you. You and I are some of EW's biggest resident Tolkien nerds. So I am, I'm excited to to get into it and, and, and geek out with you. Hell yeah. So like I said, you know, we and, and you especially have been writing about this show for a little bit. You and I did a uh, post kind of introducing the second age of Middle Earth, which is when the show will be set. About a month or two ago, um, you also did a deep dive into Numenor um, for our Comic-Con exclusive issue. So when it came to this cover, which is linked here in this space, what did you want readers to take away from this piece and, and kind of learn about the show from this latest story in particular? Yeah, so this was a really cool thing we've been working on actually for for months, if not if not a year. Um, basically, having these really amazing digital uh, motion covers to sort of spotlight this amazing cast. It's a huge cast. It's um, twenty two series regulars. We've got thirteen of them on our covers, and with with this story, you know, we we were so lucky to have that amazing um, Comic Con issue, which was sort of the first look at Numenor, which is this legendary island kingdom. It's sort of Tolkien's version of Atlantis. And so that was really the focus of that story. But for this one, we really wanted to showcase the the breadth and the depth of this cast and, and the storytelling of this show because um, you know, we've got elves, we've got dwarves, we've got Harfoots, we've got humans, Numenorians. That's one of the cool things about Tolkien's storytelling. One of the things that the show has really embraced is this, you know, huge version of Middle Earth that, that stretches from, you know, the caverns of Khazadum to the elf kingdom of Linden to, to really just give it this, like, it has this really grand epic scale. And so I had the best time getting to speak to all these cast members and I spoke to the showrunners and some of the creative team to just talk about sort of how this show came together and sort of what their goals were and and what it was like specifically for this cast, most of whom are, you know, they're all accomplished actors who, you know, you may or may not know. Um, but they're this is certainly the biggest project that any of them have ever been involved in. And for them to sort of just like relocate to New Zealand and basically join Middle Earth um, was was definitely sort of a quest of their own. So I had the best time talking to all of them about sort of what that was like, you know, getting all those good plot details and character details, but also what was that like for them to, to you know, sort of like upend their lives and, and, and move to New Zealand like that? Totally. And, and that's kind of the focus of the cover story is the making of this show, what this experience was like for the actors. Uh, but in addition to the main story, you also have supported by these, these digital portraits, um, a breakdown of some of the main characters, which I think is going to be very helpful to readers, because even though the name Lord of the Rings is familiar to us all and the setting of Middle Earth with its elves and dwarves and and halflings is familiar to us, a lot of these characters are new. So, you know, you've seen a couple episodes of the show. I, I haven't yet. I've I've learned everything from 
your reporting and and the great Comic-Con trailer and, you know, the, the little notes and doodles that, that Tolkien left in his margins that the showrunners have been pointing to. How would you describe kind of the balance of familiar faces and brand new characters in the show? And, and what do you, you know, what do you think is going to be fun or, or exciting about that combination for viewers? Yeah, that was something that the showrunners, um, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay actually talked about a lot. You know, when they pitched this story to Amazon, they, they said that they didn't want to do like a prequel to the story you already know. They didn't want to, you know, to really deal with like a lot of the characters that you'd seen before, but there were so many, you know, Tolkien wrote so much, whether it was in the Silmarillion or in the appendices to Lord of the Rings or in some of like the unfinished tales, which have been, um, you know, published by his son Christopher. Um, there's just such a wealth of, of Middle Earth storytelling. So, so the showrunner said they've always been fascinated by the period of, of Middle Earth history called the Second Age. So it's sort of after the First Age, which was, you know, the, the story of the Silmarils and, and was chronicled in the Silmarillion, but before the Third Age, which is when The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and all of those take place. And the Second Age is really fascinating because, like you said, you've got some familiar characters, you know, that's the benefit of telling stories with immortal elves. You've, you've, some of them stick around. So we've got, um, Galadriel and Elrond and some of these names that, that, you know, play a major role in the events of the Lord of the Rings. But then there are also a bunch of, of, you know, other legendary Tolkien figures, um, like Celebrimbor, who is the, played by Charles Edwards, who is sort of this master elvish craftsman who helped craft the original, um, Rings of Power and was famously manipulated by Sauron. So, and these are stories that sort of loom large within Tolkien's canon, but have never been brought to screen before. So I think that's one of the cool things about this show is you, you get to, you know, this is a show where it's not like, well, we're just going to tell you how, you know, so-and-so got their name and how they became the character you know and love. No, this is more about sort of like fleshing out this big, beautiful world that, that Tolkien created and getting to see a lot of that on screen for the first time. You know, we could see Numenor, which is a huge story, which which looms throughout Lord of the Rings. You know, Aragorn and Boromir and Faramir, they're all descended from from the great Numenorians of old. Um, you know, we get to see Casa Doom, aka Moria, which at the time of the Lord of the Rings is basically an abandoned tomb. It's it's empty, and that's um, you know, obviously where Gandalf faces off against the Balrog. But at the time of the Second Age, it's thriving. It's this huge, beautiful dwarven kingdom with with grand caverns and like master craftsmen, and and it's just really it's it's getting to see sort of these these different corners of Middle Earth that um, you know the Lord of the Rings alludes to or talks about as as the history. But getting to see them sort of in their full glory, which is is so exciting. And then there are, you know, obviously to make this work as a television show, there are some invented characters, um, you know, uh, which makes total sense to sort of get to flesh out this story because Tolkien never really wrote about the Second Age as a traditional narrative. He wrote about it quite a bit in um, parts of the Silmarillion and in the appendices to Lord of the Rings, but he never sat down and wrote it as like a true story with like a beginning, middle and end. Um, so this sort of, you know, some of those new characters sort of help to flesh it out and make it work as, you know, in a, in a TV format and make it work in a, in a, that kind of format. Hell yeah. Um, you might say that the doors of Cavs of Doom haven't necessarily uh, delved too deep yet. Um, and I think that this is, uh, definitely, you know, definitely seems like a consciously different track than uh, something like Star Wars, which has been doing nothing but prequels of familiar characters and, and running lately with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Book of Boba Fett and now Andor coming up and running into all the, um, you know, storytelling hurdles that 
we've come to know and love from prequels of familiar characters, which is that, oh, I've already seen this character. They're more most interesting. And now I'm seeing the less interesting part of their lives. You know, what differentiates what has always differentiated the world building of Middle Earth is because it was so conscious and and layered in from the get go, you know, the more that you understand what happened in the Second Age, what happened even before that in the Silmarillion, it really can enhance your appreciation of Lord of the Rings. Um, because the characters know those stories. I was really struck by the opening shot in the Comic-Con trailer that uh, an elf that looks like Galadriel kind of stacking this helmet on this huge mound of helmets. I don't know if that's a bat, you know, that's the end of a battle scene we're going to see in the show or is kind of a flashback. Certainly what it made me think of is the huge apocalyptic climactic battle at the end of the Silmarillion, the breaking of Thangorodrim. Um, when when the forces of the elves and the Valar are able to throw down Morgoth. And that's an event that Elrond knew and saw and is something he talks about a lot in Lord of the Rings and is a very real thing for him, just like the stories of Numenor and the stories of Beren and Luthien are things that Aragorn talks about and thinks about and influences his decisions in Lord of the Rings. That's why the world building here is so much more natural than, than kind of the haphazard way that it's uh, done in other franchises. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people, um, you know, uh, don't necessarily think of the setting of Lord of the Rings as it's sort of post-apocalyptic. Post-apocalyptic, you know, where yeah. Where Frodo and Sam are, you know, you hear Sam, he, he recites this poem and sings this song about um, the elvish high king Gilgalad. And, you know, there, there's this idea that these are sort of the legends that the characters you know and love. And so, you know, at the time of, of Lord of the Rings, a lot of things are in disrepair. You know, great right. civilizations have crumbled. You know, there's all these ruins everywhere. And so the show is sort of getting to see those things at... Um, sort of the height of their power? What did they look like when they were, you know, really, really extraordinary? But I will say the one thing is, you know, the I think one of the trickiest things about this show is that it sort of has two audiences, right? On one hand, you've got the hardcore nerds like you and me who are going to be like picking apart and being like, oh my God, I'm so excited to see Gil Gatlin on screen for the first time. And then you've got the people who are like, uh, I, kinda, I really enjoyed the Peter Jackson movies. Um, I haven't read the books, but I'm excited for this thing, uh, for this new TV show. And that's the TV show sort of has to walk both of those lines. And the showrunners told me and the cast told me that was something they were very conscious about. So if you're a hardcore Tolkien nerd who's like memorized the Silmarillion or you have it saved on your phone like I do, um, you're going to love this show versus if you're somebody who's like never kind of new to Tolkien and really doesn't know anything about Lord of the Rings, they want to be able to welcome you in and make this a, uh, you know, in, enjoyable experience for t- you too. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting how they've sort of wanted to walk those, those two worlds um, and sort of get to basically make everybody a fan. Yeah, there's, you know, we, you've done, um, we've been doing a lot of great coverage and we've got more coverage, uh, coming of this show to kind of explain everything and get people ready for it. Inevitably, you have to assume there are going to be people who click play on Amazon Prime the day this show comes out and five minutes later are kind of like, why isn't Aragorn in this? Um, for so, sure. you know, you can never tell, uh, how much information, uh, certain consumers are going to have. Um, but, you know, you're not just, Devin, you're not just a, uh, you know, you're not a spokesperson for this show. You've just seen a little bit more of it than a lot of us. And you um, have in-depth knowledge of Middle Earth. But like you said, the two of us are Tolkien nerds. So I wanted to nerd out a little bit and ask you just what are some of the things you're most excited uh, to see in this show and, and for viewers to see? 
Yeah, I think, you know, like we talked about, this is sort of the history of Middle Earth. You know, a lot of these stories that, that you know, are alluded to in, in the Tolkien's text for the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, the fall of Numenor, um, the forging of the One Ring, everything, um, you know, with Celebrimbor and, and that whole saga. These are things that I'm, I'm, you know, I've read about for years and have really geeked out over. And I'm so excited to get to see them in sort of their full, full glory. I remember when they first announced this show, um, and there were there were rumors that it was going to be second age. I remember I have a, a, a screenshot of you and I like texting each other and being like, "Sink Numenor!" I'm so excited <laughs> to see Numenor. Yeah, um, exactly. It's this it's this amazing saga of of you know sort of humans in Middle Earth and and this great island kingdom that's sort of you know Tolkien's Atlantis myth. And then I'm so excited to get to see that brought to screen. But I also I just I love the world building and the feeling that Middle Earth gives you. That's something the showrunners talked a lot about. It's just capturing that feeling of what it feels like to to be in Middle Earth. Um, you know, whether you're reading the, the 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 books or you're listening to like Led Zeppelin songs or you're watching the Peter Jackson trilogy, you know, there's a feeling that comes with Middle Earth. Um, and you know, the beautiful landscapes, the the costume design, the production design, um, you know, the differences between Elvish culture and Dwarven culture and the Numenorians, those are the kind of like fantasy world building things that I love to geek out about. I'm like, yeah, show me pictures of like all the cool swords and tell me about all the cool swords. <laughs> so that's the kind of stuff that I love. And um, I'm really excited for, you know, I love, I love fantasy storytelling. I feel like we're sort of in a golden age, um, you know, after there's sort of this this Game of Thrones sized hole after, you know, that show ended and, you know, you've got House of the Dragon coming up. Um, you know, Netflix has things like The Witcher. There's just like, I, I am a, a geek for, for this kind of, of storytelling. And for me, you know, Middle Earth is the, is the, the pinnacle of that. You know, Tolkien is the godfather of modern f- fantasy storytelling. And I'm, I'm just so excited to, you know, get to return to that world and, and, you know, like, I want to, I want to geek out every week and like come up with crazy fan theories and like try to, you know, figure out um, where this is going. Because again, like, we have the broad strokes, you know, Tolkien wrote, Tolkien wrote in sort of broad strokes about where the story goes, but there's so many details and like little character moments that I'm, I'm so excited to discover along the way. What about you? What are you most excited for? Uh Really excited for Numenor. Um, certainly, that is kind of the ele- you know I'm ex- I love the Silmarillion. Devin and I wrote um, a post on EW years ago. That's still one of my favorite things we've ever done. Kind of just discussing the virtues of the Silmarillion because the Silmarillion has a very I think unfair reputation um, in pop culture, or at least it has until recently. Um, that it's boring, that it's weird, that it gets bogged down in stuff, that it's biblical or didactic or anything. It's actually extremely metal. Uh, insane stuff happens on every page, almost every sentence. It's so uh, metal. I love it so it's, much. <laughs> it's so cool. There's there's giants fight. There's like you think the Balrog's cool. There's a million Balrogs in the Silmarillion, and they all do crazy stuff. Um, and the story of Numenor, uh, which is a very interesting. You know, Devin called it uh, Tolkien's Atlantis, as we all know. Atlantis, the story of a bunch of uh, chill people that everything went great for and nothing bad ever happened. Um, so the Numenor story is a great, it's just got so many emotions and, and mythic qualities to it. It's told in the section called the Yakalabeth at the end of the Silmarillion. Um, so I think anything that, or like, you know, I just compared the opening shot of the trailer reminded me of the breaking of Thangorjim from the Silmarillion. I'm definitely excited in anything that feels Silmarillion adjacent. There's the shot of the two trees in the trailer. Um, 
that's probably what I'm most excited for because it's what I know the most about. But I'm also excited to learn new stuff. Um, you know, Devin, you said that uh, Lord of the Rings is kind of post-apocalyptic for its own world, which I, I think it is. And one of the great sim- uh, images of that in the in the Jackson movies is in the Emin Mule when they when they see those giant statues that are all overgrown with weeds and branches and stuff. Um, a tribute to Numenorean architecture, but also the dwarves. You know, I think there's a couple reasons that Gimli is the only real dwarf who factors into Lord of the Rings. One of those reasons being that there were a million dwarves in The Hobbit and he had just written a bunch about dwarves, so he wasn't necessarily um, wanting to make them the focus again. Um, but another reason is that the dwarf, dwarves have really lost a lot of power um since their glory days and we and we even in the hobbit you know they're kind of on the run and nomads a little bit so i'm really excited to see the dwarf kingdoms the female dwarves uh really delving into that mythology and related to that of course show is lord of the rings the rings of power and as much as i love the jackson movies i think they make a deliberate choice to focus on the one ring um, perhaps so as not to confuse viewers, perhaps so as to keep the stakes clear and, and why this ring is so important. But the movies don't really spend a lot of time talking about the other rings. And when I revisited Fellowship, um, Fellowship of the Ring, a co- the book a couple years ago for the first, for my first reread in years, I was really struck by how often the elven rings in particular are mentioned in that book. Um, sometimes they're the cover art, um, and, and what those rings mean and the, the power they're being used for. Um, in the third age, I'm really excited to see those elven rings come to be, how Galadriel and Elrond end up with theirs. Um, but even more than that, we, you know, we have seen it. I'm excited to see the dwarven rings, the seven rings of the dwarf lords. Not a lot has really been said about what those rings did or what the dwarves used them for. Um, so I'm really excited to see all that come together. Of course, you know, that will be a grand arc of the show. It's not like we're going to see that in the second episode or whatever. Um, but I'm really excited to to delve into the rings, plural, um, and see their kind of power at work. Because it's something that comes up a lot in Tolkien's writing, but not so much in the previous film adaptations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the title of, you know, the, the books is The Lord of the Rings, plural. So yeah. it would make sense that we got we get to see the three for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, and one for the dark lord on his dark throne. Oh man, that's also like so wrong to say it that way, doomed to die, because of course he's taking that advantage of the fear of mortality and in, in corrupting humans and selling them these rings, turning them into his Nazgul. One of the great, one of, for me, the great things in the Silmarillion, um, that I think really you can tell that it was written by someone who lived through and fought in World War One, um, is this, is this complicated idea of death and that death is not wholly a horrible thing that it is in fact a gift to humans as much as it is um their doom and it's when people in a certain island kingdom kind of lose track of that that things go a little awry but that's me again just kind of uh waxing about the things i love about tolkien and the the elements of his world yeah absolutely and i'm curious for you you know we have this breakdown we've got 13 characters on our covers there's there's 22 series regulars um is there a particular character or a storyline that you are are particularly excited for you know i'm really curious to see uh what is going on with the harfoots 
um, because I love I love hobbits. Um, I'm currently playing a hobbit in my current Dungeons and Dragons campaign. He's you awesome. nerd. <laughs> yeah, he's a druid. He turns into dinosaurs. It's great. But a lot of what I love about Tolkien's hobbits is wrapped up in the Shire, is them being these, like, you know, rural-dwelling, happy-go-lucky, you know, beer-drinking stoners. Um, and that's not the hobbits we're going to see in this movie. The, the, the Harfoots are nomads. They, you know, you can see glimpses of them in the trailers. Um, they're traveling over. They haven't settled in the Shire yet. And so, you know, as much as I bet they'll still be short and charming, um, I'm curious to see kind of how their culture differs from the Hobbit culture that we all take for granted, you know, the set of bag ends, still a worldwide tourist destination and all that. Yeah, it's something that's interesting. So much that we associate with with hobbits is exactly what you said, you know, sort of where the Bilbo and Frodo and where they are in the third age. Um, but it's interesting, you know, this is sort of one of the the biggest inventions of the, of the show is that, you know, um, Tolkien didn't write specifically about any sort of halfling, you know, influence in the second age. It wasn't like, you know, Bilbo, you know, going off to, to break into the Lonely Mountain or, or Frodo and, you know, Sam and Merry and Pippin, you know, getting involved in the War of the Ring. Um, but, but Tolkien did write about, you know, there were sort of these early predecessors to, to the hobbits we know and love. You know, he specifically wrote that there were three, three kinds, the stores, the fallow hides, and the harfoots. And, and this show will specifically focus on, you know, a young group of harfoots who are, who are traveling and, and nomadic. And, um, you know, there's some, some great actors, you know, Markella Cavanaugh or Lenny Henry who, who are playing these harfoots. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm very curious about I think it makes sense, um, you know, to include them here um, because Tolkien included them here. And um, but I'm, I'm curious to see sort of how they fit into this this larger world. But I think it makes sense for the show to include them because I think one of my favorite things about Tolkien's storytelling has always been the scale and the the scope of his storytelling. You have, you know, the great kings, the the legendary immortal elves, these these mythic figures, but then you also have, you know gardeners and you know hobbits and these these sort of like smaller stories right. so I, I think that's something that the show was very smart to include whereas if you're going to tell the story of like galadriel and gilgalad and all of these things i think you also need you know dwarves and harfoots and and you just want to capture the full full scope of, of tolkien's world building yeah, you know, I'm I'm really excited to finally see the show, as I'm sure everybody listening is. Uh, one thing you can say at the outset is that they, the the showrunners, the actors, Amazon itself certainly have not taken the easy road here. They did not do the young Aragorn show, which you alluded to as a pitch that was going around earlier in this development process. You know, there are 22 cast regulars in in this show. They are, we're, we're looking at Harfoots over here and elves over there and humans over here. And some of those characters are going to be traveling across the continent. And I assume others will kind of be keeping to their own and those storylines will intersect and weave in and out of each other. It definitely seems like a major storytelling endeavor. Um, a lot of new faces, a lot of new actors, new showrunners. These showrunners you mentioned in the story, their biggest thing up till now is uncredited work on JJ Abrams Star Trek movies. A lot of people with stuff to prove here. Um, you know, even though we've got Tolkien and Lord of the Rings name, um, this is not an easy path and, and I'm excited for it. Um, also to see how it unfolds. And, and one, th one other thing I wanted to say about the Hardfoots is that they are connected to what is for me right now, 
the biggest mystery of the show. As I've alluded to, I know what happens with Numenor. I know where Gilgalad and Isildur, where their stories eventually end up. We all know where Galadriel ends up. The thing that I have no idea about is this character called the Stranger that crashes to Middle-earth in some kind of meteor is found and befriended by the Harfoots. Um, I'm, that, that is an example of a storyline that I have no idea what that is or where it's going. And I'm so excited to find out along with everybody else. Yeah, that's one where I where I talked about, you know, wanting to to theorize and do and do do lots of, you know, digging and things like that. And I, I also have no idea what's going on there. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I again I have my theories, I have my thoughts as to who this this stranger might be, but but we'll have to wait and see. And um, you know, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about this show is, you know, it was um, some people online have been very dismissive of it, you know, saying like, oh, how dare they? They're, they're, you know, people online being dismissive. What? Right. I know, like trolls of, of the first um, I've heard of this. <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings, you get trolls. You've got cave trolls. You've got snow trolls. You've, you've got, <laughs> they, you have know, a, they have internet trolls. Exactly. You expose them to sunlight and they turn to stone, um, like in The Hobbit. But no, it's, it's been interesting. And a lot of people are, are, are very skeptical. But the thing that I've been impressed by as I've been reporting on the show and, and from what I've seen is how faithful it is. It is very, um, you know, the showrunners and everybody involved in this speaks very reverently of Tolkien. Um, you know, uh, actually, J.R.R. Tolkien's grandson, Simon Tolkien, who is a novelist himself, is a consultant on the series. Um, and, and there's very little as far as, you know, like deviations from, from Tolkien's established canon. I would argue that the Peter Jackson movies took a bigger risk. I mean, they cut so much. I mean, like, I adore the Peter Jackson movies, but there are, I mean, huge swaths of Tolkien's writing that are completely changed or cut. I mean, everything, Tom Bombadil is perhaps the most famous example, but justice for Tom Bombadil, justice for Tom Bombadil, but also justice for like Imrahil and everything with the gray company and like all of these, you know, amazing storylines that don't make it into it. Um, and, and the so, wild I mean, men who sneak the Rohirrim into the Pelennor fields. Exactly. Everything with the old forest and old man Willow and like all of, you know, like fatty Bulger, like all of that stuff is, is cut and changed. And, you know, the timeline is condensed from, you know, several, you know, more than a decade passes between, you know, right. like Bilbo's birthday and, and, and Frodo setting out on his journey with the ring. So, so I think I, I understand the skepticism. Tolkien is, you know, he deserves the the reverence and the, you know, kind of like obsession that that, you know, he he receives, but also from speaking to the showrunners and the cast, they this is a labor of love. They are not changing things for the sake of changing things. They're everything fits very well within Tolkien's canon. Um, this is a very faithful, loving adaptation. It was so funny talking to some of the cast members because some of them, they all had different experiences with 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 Tolkien. Some of them, you know, read it growing up, where they they loved the the Peter Jackson movies, and like mm-hmm. some of them were like hardcore scholars, like pouring over the Silmarillion. Robert Arameo, who plays Elrond, was one of those. He was like, "Hey, Elrond's a lore master. Like he would be yeah. the guy who would like want to know all the lore and be able to like." And it was funny. Some of the cast members were like, "Yeah, we went to Rob to like answer questions for us about like obscure passages of text or." Um, I love that part of your story. Yeah. yeah. 
or Lloyd Owen, who plays Elendil, like speaks like he can like quote long passages about you know the the, the rise and fall of Numenor. I mean, these are people who they they take it very seriously and they have a love for it that I think is is kind of infectious, you know. And and obviously the showrunners and the writers and everyone there, you know, did like incredible lore deep dives. But I was also really impressed by like the actors who did the same thing. And like you know, we were at Comic Con and um, during the Hall H presentation, like. Benjamin Walker could recite the entirety of the fall of, of Gilgal Gilgalad from from memory. Like these are, you know, people who they know their stuff. And so if you're worried about like being true to to the story and, and being, you know, faithful to the canon, I I think, you know, we'll we'll see the final product, but it, but it seems like we're in very, very good hands. Definitely. And I just need to add a little note here based on what I've been watching recently, that you mentioned that the great uh, British actor Lenny Henry plays uh, one of the Harfoots. Um, in other nerdy news that is very near and dear to my heart, there is a, uh, Sandman show hitting Netflix this week in which Lenny Henry has a voice role. Hilariously, considering I only bring it up because he is voicing the character that is most directly kind of a parody or an homage or a reference to Lord of the Rings style stories. So, um, it's funny that then he's also in the actual Lord of the Rings show that's happening now. I love uh, that. <laughs> uh, Devin. This has been great uh, diving deep with you about this show. Um, the show is, of course, arriving this fall. Now, is this the last time you and I will be talking about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power in an audio format? I don't know. I mean, this has been fun. I think we should, we should do this more often. What do you say? Yeah, I think we should make it more consistent. Like, what do you say? Like, like maybe weekly? Like, starting in, in September? Yeah, I like to go along with the episodes as they're released and and break down the episodes, both from a fan perspective and maybe with an inside look at uh, the behind the scenes process. Yeah, that sounds fun. So like, uh, like, what are you saying? Like a podcast? Yeah, like what if we did a podcast about the Lord of the Rings show? Oh, well, I have some good news for you, buddy. That's, oh, yeah? that's already in the works. That's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Coming in September. Hell yeah. So if you um, want to come geek out with us uh, about all things Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, EW is going to be launching a, um, a Rings of Power podcast beginning in September. Um, it is called All Rings Considered, which is all an incredible title. All Rings Considered. We went through a lot of names. There were a lot of really <laughs> great, we made a lot of really bad puns um, and, and poured over like Tolkien's work. Um, Pelinor Fields, but with different punny names for this podcast. <laughs> for sure but it's gonna be fun so um make sure to look for it wherever you get your podcasts uh apple podcasts where wherever you um you know get yours come come and find us and then talk about all things lord of the rings with us yep watch lord of the rings the rings of power when it hits amazon this fall and then listen to ew's all rings considered podcast uh for our weekly breakdowns of the show can't wait to talk with you guys all more if you want more about all things Lord of the Rings, uh, the Rings of Power, head to EW.com. We've got a wealth of content, whether you are looking for like nerdy stuff to dive into or you're a total newbie and want to figure out who the hell these people are. We've got everything. Absolutely. Explainers, intros, in-depth interviews. We've got it all and more is coming. Well, thank you, Christian, for joining me. And, and thank you guys, everyone at home for listening. Thank you, Devin. And thank you to everybody. See you. Uh, see you more in September. See you in Middle Earth. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs>